<laughs> All right, well, uh, good morning officially. Um, it is good to be here, of course, today. Um, it's always good to be here on the Lord's Day together. Uh, every day here at Liberty Christian Church, every day in the Lord's Church, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the death that paid the price for our sins and that resurrection that made it possible for us to have eternal life, for us to one day uh, rise up out of our graves, be given our new heavenly bodies, and go to be with Him forever. And so uh, we praise the Lord for that. We praise the Lord for the opportunity to be together like this. This is the first day of the week. This is not the end of your weekend. Now, I know if we use the term weekend loosely as in it's, you know, the, the, the last day we have off before we go back to work or something like that, then in that case it is the weekend. But as far as literally the end of the week, that was yesterday. And so today is the start of a brand new week. And it's great to get a, to start it off here in this place, Sunday morning, uh, in God's Word, breaking open uh, the Word of God and seeing what it has to say today. So uh, it's an honor and a privilege. And I don't say that lightly. Uh, I'm treating it that way. Way this morning, and I hope that you're treating it that way as well, that you consider this time that we have together as something that really is sacred, that really is a, a privilege and an honor to have, a gift from God for sure. We are in the uh, third week of a message series going through the book of Jude. It's a, it's a letter. It's a relatively short letter. So we're taking our time going through it nice and slow-like, you know, getting everything we can, really wringing it out and getting every bit out of every verse that we can. It's short, so we have time to do that, we've said. And ultimately what we're seeing is that there's a warning in this letter from Jude. It's a warning to the church. And so what we're seeing as we go week to week and we'll continue to see is that this warning is still so incredibly relevant today, and, and today's message might be just a, uh, just a skosh different than uh, maybe what you were expecting today, and maybe a, a little different than maybe something you've heard before. But the fact of the matter is, it's something Jude addresses, and it's something that actually is, I'm not just saying it is, it actually is very much relevant to the church today. So if you've got a bulletin, which I assume most of you don't, because when we had the mishap with the slides, everybody was like, ah, where do we go? How do we know what song we're singing? It's in the bulletin, okay? Yes, we do still print bulletins. All right. <laughs> anyway, if you've got a bulletin, you see that today's message uh, is called Ungodly Shysters. Ungodly Shysters. Does anybody else use the term shyster? Show of hands. L let me see. Okay, okay, okay. Anybody in the room a shyster? Show of hands. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Um, yeah, so I'm glad to see that because for a long time, I wondered if shyster was a term that like my parents made up or maybe their parents made up and it was just like in our family because I heard it thrown around and I knew it wasn't a bad word because mom and dad didn't say bad words. And so fortunately, I, I, I knew that I was okay probably to use it, but I wondered if I'm using a word that no one else knows what it means. And so uh, I looked it up just to be safe this week and it turns out shyster is an actual word and it just refers to somebody who you know kind of disregards the the moral attributes of you know say fairness and, and and honesty and integrity to manipulate situations to their advantage for their gain um, you might be able to think of some particular sectors of the marketplace that are that are rife with shysters I contemplated telling you, uh, giving you an example and telling you a story where I interacted with a shyster, and I thought for all of our benefit, maybe we just don't get into that. So I'll leave your imaginations to thinking 
about the shyster or two or more that you've had to deal with in your lifetime here. But um, I'm calling this message ungodly shysters because in Jude, in verse four of this letter, Jude basically introduces some spiritual shysters to us. These are guys who are up to no good. They're selfish, they're sneaky, they're manipulative. They are shysters in every sense of the word. And most importantly, guys, they're dangerous. Sneaky, manipulative, all these things. But the the fact of the matter is, all this adds up to a danger to the church. They're dangerous. Now, before we jump right in and discuss what Jude says, specifically in verse 4, we need to recall in our minds what Jude said in verse 3, because... Jude verse 4 is actually Jude explaining why he said what he said in verse 3. So, so look back at, here, at this verse in verse 3 where he says, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, remember this? He said, I felt the necessity. I felt the necessity to write to you that you contend earnestly. For the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. Now, look at today's text, that very next verse. This is, this is just, Jude takes a breath and then says, for, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So, Last week we had a a big idea, right? Something we needed to walk away with. We needed to make sure we got a hold of, we understood, and then as we walk out these doors, we've got this under wraps. We we understand this. Well, this week's uh, big idea is that spiritual shysters, first of all, have in the past infiltrated the Lord's church. They've done that in the past, and they still do. We need to know that. And then we need to know this. If we don't do something about it, If we don't do our own personal part, each of us individually as members of the Lord's church, to contend earnestly for the faith, if we're not up for that or we're not willing to do that, then these spiritual shysters will draw our families away. They will draw our friends away. They will draw the people you see sitting in front of you, behind you, beside you, and and possibly even ourselves away from the faith. So again, this is a real danger that we need to address with the Lord's church even today. So let's get familiar with these facts that Jude lays out, again, for the reason he gives for why he has to uh, appeal to us to contend earnestly for the faith. This is why he had to say what he said in verse 3. So we're going to be in verse 4, of course. going to break it into three sections like we've done the last couple of weeks, but a little twist on it, a little, little resurrection day twist, okay? We're going to start from the back and work our way forward. Okay, we've got three sections. We're going to start with section three, then we're going to go to two. It's where it always is, and then we'll, we'll end with the beginning. Sound like fun? Maybe keep it interesting, you know? Maybe it's probably an early morning for all of us. Maybe that'll keep us awake, right? Jake's going in the wrong order, something like that. I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun. No, actually, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, Jude wrote it the way he wrote it for a reason. But I think as we explain it, I think there's value in in doing it in this order. So first of all, let's look at what we might call the findings. The findings. Oftentimes we hear the word findings used to refer to uh, some conclusions that, that we can come to based on like an investigation or some sort of inquiry of some kind. Um, Well, Jude gives us here in this last part of verse four, he delivers to us God's findings. God's findings regarding these people who made it necessary for Jude to write to us, telling the church that we need to contend earnestly for the faith because of these people. 
So he gives us these findings. Look at the end of verse four. Jude uh, refers to these people as ungodly persons. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God, turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny, deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So what are the findings presented here uh, about these people that Jude is warning us about? First of all, they're ungodly, right? He starts right off the bat right there in that section anyway, uh, calling them ungodly. Now what makes a person ungodly? Let's make this simple. Here's the simplest way that it's ever been put to me, and many of you have heard this, this method before. Let's ask a few questions that are easy to answer, and we'll make this definition easy and quick. What is a person lacking who is unskilled? Yeah, okay, maybe the second one will be louder. What is a person lacking who is uneducated? Yeah, what is a person lacking who is untrained? Right, do we get the point? Do we want to keep going? Move on. Okay, I'm, I'm being told to move on. Okay, all right. So what is a person lacking? What is a person missing who is ungodly? God, right. Okay, so it's significant that God in his word has pointed out that these people we're talking about today are ungodly. They are without God, okay? And now, if they are without God, we know from scripture that that means but they're without Christ, right? They're without his son as well. Uh, we looked at this uh, probably a couple months ago when we were going through our message series in 1 John. 1 John 2.23 says, whoever denies the son does not have the father. So those people who don't have the father, it's because they don't have the son, right? It, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father, but through him, you don't get reconciled. Your relationship can't be reconciled to God without going through the son. All right, and it says it right here in 1 John 2, 23. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. On the flip side, the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. So these ungodly people, are they Christians? Do they have Christ? <laughs> We're tempted to say, technically, no. But let's just be frank about it. No, they're not, they're not Christians by the way the Bible defines the term Christian. And I kind of feel like we should go with what the Bible says when it comes to who is and who isn't a Christian, right? Seems kind of important, okay? So we know that these people that Jude is referring to, they aren't actually Christians, all right? Keep that in mind as we go on. Now, next, Jude says that these ungodly people turn the grace of God into licentiousness. So this is another one of our findings here. These people take God's grace, that wonderful, charitable, powerful benefit that he provides to those who take refuge in him. That, that gift that God gives us so that we are able to one day spend eternity in his glory, in his heaven, uh, all the rest of eternity. We get to do that even though we fall short, even though while we're faithful, we aren't sinlessly perfect. They take that God's grace, and they turn it into licentiousness. Now, what's licentiousness? I mean, is that kind of a natural evolution, like grace, after a little while it turns into licentiousness? No. No, no, it's not. It is not. Now, I understand licentiousness is not a word we use a whole lot. You know, boy, so-and-so was out there doing some pretty licentious things last night. We don't, we don't do that, right? We don't throw that out. But, but that's the tone you'd say it in, by the way, if you were going to say that about somebody. Uh, but they wouldn't know what you were saying. They wouldn't know if you were saying something good or bad, probably, because we don't know what licentious means. We do if we look it up, right? Licentiousness is behavior that lacks any kind of moral or legal restraint. It's shameless, unbridled lust is what it is. It's often illustrated or exemplified by behavior that shocks society. 
Now, I know in our society these days, as quickly as things are changing, there isn't a lot left that shocks our society. But the fact of the matter is, we are talking about things that everybody knows is gone too far. It's too much. It's unhealthy. It's harmful to self and to others. And it's often used, this licentious term, it's often used in reference to sexual immoral behavior. Sexual behavior that's morally unacceptable. That's typically the way this, this word is used. It doesn't have to be, but more than likely that's what Jude is talking about, okay? But, but any kind of licentious behavior is a problem. Now we wonder when we hear that, how do people, and, and it's not just a disgusted term, it's like, can I even fathom how someone can take God's grace? How do you take God's grace and turn it into that? How does God's grace go to licentiousness? I mean, I, I get how people behave that way, but I don't get the connection between God's grace and licentiousness. Well, we wonder things like that. Well, have you ever heard, whether it be authors or, or a friend, you probably got a coworker that might say some things like this before. Have you ever heard phrases like these? These are all things I've heard before, some version of things I've heard before. Look. Who can say that Christians aren't supposed to enjoy the good things in life? Or what about this? If God didn't expect us to, to sin a little, to drink a little, to, to cuss a little, to lust a little, to fuss a little, He wouldn't have created these things and allowed these things, right? What about this? Think about it. I love when people start phrases with, think about it, okay? <laughs> think about it. Since God created us with bodies that have these kinds of appetites and urges, he knows we're going to act on these impulses. It's natural. I'm almost convinced. <laughs> Do you really think that God wants us to drive ourselves completely insane trying to uh, restrain and refrain ourselves from acting on these desires that he gave us? Ever heard anything like this? Ever heard phrases like this? Or think about it this way, okay? clearly implying you've already thought about it, and they're like, well, hold on here. I, I can see you've thought about this. Think about it my way, right? Think about it this way. It's actually a great witness to others to show them that you sin just like they do. It proves that Christians are down to earth and we're just the same as regular people. One more. Look, when you let your guard down and you stop trying so hard to be obedient all the time, you actually prove to God and others that you trust, you really do trust in His grace. I've heard every single one of those. Did, I mean, were those all, did those all just sound silly or did you, have you heard things like that before? Okay, I, I may have dialed those up a little bit to make the point in like one sentence. Usually it's kind of drawn out and they, they've got this long thing that, you know, I don't know if they got it from a rant on YouTube or where they heard it, but, but this stuff happens. We hear these things happening all the time. I hope that every single one of those sounded like complete garbage to every single one of you, but the fact is, to some people, some of those things sound like they make sense. It sounds like it could be right. And it's the easy thing to go with because it's like, hey, then I can feel good about my spirituality, my religion, and I can do whatever I want to do. There are ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness with thoughts and phrases and explanations just like these. So the church needs to beware of this stuff. Now, the third, uh, the third finding 
found here at the end of verse 4. Remember, we're in the last section of verse 4. The third finding is the fact that these ungodly persons deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Jude says here. Now, the word that Jude uses for master here uh, probably means what you think it means. It has the idea of absolute ruler. Absolute ruler and one who possesses supreme authority. Now, if you had a different definition, maybe yours was a little uh, diluted. Maybe it wasn't as strong. But that's what the term master means, the word that Jude actually used in the original Greek language. Absolute ruler. Supreme authority in one's life. And then the word that Jude uses for Lord, it implies ownership, first of all. That's important to know. And it indicates control over a person or thing. Important to know. Jude says Jesus Christ is our only Lord and Master, right? He said they deny our only Lord and Master. These ungodly people, they turn God's grace into licentiousness. They have another Master, right? He doesn't have that supreme authority in their lives. They don't behave like he has any kind of control. They don't allow him uh, to be the owner of their, of their lives. They don't, they don't give him that supreme authority like he's supposed to have because he's the only Lord and Master. They have another Master and Lord. And who is it? Not Jake, but it's, it's themselves, right? They, you ask them who their Lord and Master is, and uh, they're going to hide it from you. But if they were honest, they take two thumbs, and they go, right here, this guy. I'm my own Lord. I'm my own Master. My, my flesh is my Master. I do what I want to do. My appetite tells me what to do. I eat what I want to eat, drink what I want to drink, do what I want to do, feel the way I want to feel. That's what these people are up to. The lesson for us here is that there are people out there who make evil look good. They, they can twist things like we kind of did in those examples. They, they twist things and they can make sinful behavior actually sound like, like it's almost beneficial in some way. Like it could provide some sort of value, some sort of use to, to someone. What a dangerous thing. I mean, what a dangerous thing for the church and for the world outside the church even. Now look, we don't need to be overly suspicious or think that everybody's in on some conspiracy against the church. I don't want us going uh, far in that direction, okay? But Christian, we need you, each and every single one of you that are part of the Lord's church, we need you to be vigilant and watching out for people who are ungodly like this. People who are cheapening and even transforming God's grace into something that just serves their own flesh, right? Just, just makes them feel good, just scratches that itch that they have, gives them that pleasure they're looking for, and also be looking out for those people who seem to have other masters and other lords rather than our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, I guess, what we need to do is keep our big picture in mind, right? There's a danger here. We need to keep in mind that if we're not careful, these people who are up to no good, they can draw our families, our friends, and even ourselves away from the faith. Now, while it may sound obvious, it's worth pointing out right about now the reason why all this is so dangerous. In the middle part of verse 4, Jude points out the fate that's involved here, okay? It's important to see the fate of these ungodly persons that we've been talking about. It reminds us of not only what they have coming, but what we may have coming if we allow ourselves to be pulled away, to be drawn away, to follow after uh, some of this, this stuff that these ungodly persons are peddling to us, okay? 
Jude says there in the, the middle part of verse 4, he says, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Now, in the New American Standard 1995 version of the Bible that, that I uh, read from, study from, put up here on the screen, that could sound like a few different things and could be taken a couple different ways. And that's why uh, if you ever are like, oh, here goes Jake talking about another Greek definition, <laughs> that's kind of why we do that. Because there are some things that if you go, um, if you read here and then you hear someone say this is what it means, well, they may be twisting what the English words say to, to serve their own purpose. And so what we want to do is where it really matters, especially we want to make sure we really dial in and understand what's actually being said here. But those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Now, first of all, what we want to see is that these people are condemned. Now, are they condemned by you and, and, and me? Like, like directly, do, do we say, well, that person over there is, um, I, think, I think we'll just send them to hell. Do we have that power? No. No, no, no. So who are they condemned by? Yeah, yeah, God. They're condemned by God. So let's make sure we understand that. They're condemned. They're condemned by God. Their behavior, this means it doesn't go unnoticed or unjudged by God. He sees, he judges, and he will punish. And it's not because God hasn't made himself clear. It's not because God hasn't provided any kind of warning to anybody about these kinds of attitudes and behaviors that, that are being uh, pointed out and spotlighted, highlighted by Jude here. In the middle of this verse, in uh, verse 4, this Greek word is used, prographo. Prographo. Now, I can't do any of the cool Greek rolling of the R's and stuff, and I don't even know if I'm supposed to here or not. But um, prographo is my best, my best um, stab at that. It means to write about something before a certain period of time. Like, you're referring to something was written about before this thing that you're currently discussing. All right? That, that's the way this term was used, and it can mean to depict or portray openly. Okay? It wasn't written down, put in one of those cool little journals with the little heart-shaped lock and put it away in the dresser or under the mattress. It wasn't like that. It was openly. It was written about long beforehand, and it was depicted and portrayed openly. So, so lots of people have the opportunity to know about this thing that you're, you're using the term prographo for. All right? So when it comes to who's going to be condemned by God and who's going to be accepted by God, who's going to be punished and who's going to be rewarded, God has depicted this and portrayed this openly long ago. Long before Jude was writing about this right now, this warning has been given. This warning has been provided clearly, openly, and long ago. Jude mentions several examples. If, if we were to continue this morning, we would bump right into immediately. In the next few verses, we would jump into some of these examples from the Old Testament where God has proven that he means what he says when he says that if you do not follow him, if you do not repent, if you don't trust him and have faith in him, if you're not faithful to him, this is what you've got coming. Right? You got the, uh, the, the Israelites that were led out of Egypt. We're going to talk about them because Jude talks about them. I can't get too far into it today because I've only got so much time. But he talks about those guys. They were led, they were delivered by uh, the Lord out of Egypt. And many of them were, were punished, faced God's wrath, died in the desert because they weren't faithful to him. They didn't stick around for the long haul. And it was a, it was a problem. Okay? So, but there's many, many, many examples that God has made this very clear. Very evident that if this is the kind of behavior you're, you're going you're gonna, to uh, live, if this is the way you're going to live, this is what you're going to get, okay? He's not being mean. He's just saying, 
This is how it works. And he's made it very clear. Here's the deal. The fact that all of this was so clearly made known long ago, that, that God's condemnation of these individuals under these conditions, um, it means this shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It shouldn't be a surprise to the people who are participating in it. And we shouldn't be surprised and, and thereby deceived into falling for some of their schemes and buying their lies and, and, and signing up for, for following after this stuff that they're peddling. Because God has pointed out, look, if you do this, you're going to get this. Oh, but if you do this, I'm going to give you, I want to give you this. He's made it very clear, very open. So why would we hear something that we go, wait a second, that almost sounds better than what God was offering me. Is there anything in this world that's better than what God can offer you? No. How do we know that? Because it's been depicted and portrayed openly long ago. We've, we've known about this a long time ago. So we shouldn't be fallen for their lies. In 2 John, John warns about uh, deceivers. Sound familiar? Deceivers. We might say shysters. <laughs> deceivers who have gone out into the world. And he says in 2 John verse 11, he says, the one who gives him a greeting... That, that deceiver, him is the deceiver. The one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. You see, there's a real danger here in warming up to and potentially accepting these ungodly persons that Jude is talking about, these deceptive people whose fate we know very clearly, very plainly, is condemnation. The danger is that their fate could become our fate. If we participate in their evil deeds, uh, if we accept them, if we just go along with what they're, what they're peddling, the lies and all that stuff and the, the deception, if we just go along with that, we just receive them heartily and say, come on in, brother. If, if we just behave that way and don't point out that something's wrong here and shun that influence of those lies that they're given, if we don't do that, the Word of God says we participate in their evil deeds. And so the danger is their fate could become our fate. Their fate could become your children's fate. Their fate could become your friend's fate. Their fate could become your fate, your spouse's fate, you name it. And then here's the, the lesson. We need to not be lulled. Don't allow yourself to be lulled into this state of thinking that God is in some way um, neutral or, or even aloof when it, when it comes to these ungodly persons and the situations that they're out there creating. He is clear. And his judgment on this kind of behavior, these kind of attitudes, his, he's clear in his judgment is condemnation, punishment. If they continue the way they're continuing, the wrath of God is what they have coming to them. So as an active, functioning member of the Lord's body, his church, you and I, we need to reject these people, their, their influence. We need to reject those, those lies, those, those false doctrines that they're promoting. And we need to, to also be actively helping to protect the rest of the flock as well. You know, uh, I'll sing it again. We're all in this together. What is that? What do we, do? What do we determine last week? Is that High School Musical? Yeah. Okay, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> I love that it's a, it's a whole mix. We got the 20-somethings and we've got my parents' age going, yep, High School Musical for sure. Not, you know, for sure. I can't do the dance. I haven't watched it enough to know that. Uh, but, but anyway, all right. But this is serious stuff. And it's serious stuff because we are dealing with deceivers here. Okay, when, when you're dealing with someone who, you know, maybe they're just a little, they're just not quite sure what they believe or which way they should go. That's kind of a different story. But when we're dealing with deceivers, we gotta be careful, right? I mean, you jump on Facebook Marketplace 
And you gotta be careful because sometimes you can just tell this person I think is up to no good. I really want what they're selling. You know, I really need that size tire for my trailer. But by golly, I better watch myself. I might even pack some heat when I go and meet in that back alley. Why am I meeting in a back alley? Anyway, we gotta be careful when we know we're dealing with manipulative, dangerous, deceptive people. And if, if there was any doubt in your mind right now that that's who Jude's talking about. Like, like if you're like, well, I don't know. I, I kind of sympathize with these people. Maybe, maybe they're those people that just don't really quite know what they believe. And they're just not quite sure if they're on board with this whole thing or not. Jude's words at the beginning of the verse should remove any doubt from our minds as he indicates that these people are the fakes. He says they're, they're the fakes. They claim to be one thing. They want everyone to believe, like they're actively trying to get people to believe that that is who they are, but their true identity, their, their actual uh, attitudes, their consistent conduct, it's, that identity is something altogether different, you guys. Look again at the first part of verse four. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now, first of all, I want you to notice that he says certain persons. He's, he's marking out that this is not the whole church. These are certain people. It's a particular group. Jude sees a particular group of people here. God sees a particular group of people here. And you know what? This letter, especially this section, is being written for what purpose? So that we, the rest of the church, would see that there's a particular group of people here that we need to notice, we need to recognize, right? Now, look at what this particular group of people have done. Jude says these certain persons, they've, they've crept in unnoticed. They've crept in. What, what do you suppose they've crept into? Do, do we already know? Remember at the, in verse 1 how Jude um, addresses his letter to his audience? He says, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, right? And kept for Jesus Christ. Who, who are the called? The, the church, right? Beloved in God the Father, kept for Christ's return. That's the church that he's talking about. So we're talking about the church here. Jude is saying these people have crept into the church. Now, let's talk about the fact that they have, have crept. Why do you creep? What, I saw um, Malachi was creeping to the trash can this morning downstairs. And I was like, what's he sneaking up on the trash can for? What did it ever do to him? What's he trying to hide? Just garbage. Anyway, what do people creep? Because they're hiding something, right? They, they don't want to be noticed, and they don't want to be noticed because they're, they're hiding something, right? This tells us something about their motives, the, the motives of these people that we're, we're discussing. These, these people, they aren't people who want to glorify God and build his kingdom. That's not what they're trying to participate in. That's not their goal and their purpose for being here. These people are, the, are people who don't want their actual agenda to be made known. They do not want people to understand what it is they're actually up to. And if this kind of infiltration of the church sounds extreme, sounds like, well, I don't know, you know, that sounds a little far-fetched. If that's you, if you don't think that, that people do this in the church today, let, let me first of all start with reminding you what Paul wrote. He wrote in Galatians 2, 4, that he had to be careful on a trip to Jerusalem he was talking about. Uh, he had to be careful, he said, because of the false brethren, listen to all these terms, the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy out 
our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, in order, so they had an agenda, here's their purpose, in order to bring us into bondage. That's legalism, bondage, that's the old law kind of bondage. They weren't trying to actually put them in shackles and chains, but even worse, spiritually doing so and, and negating the, the um, sacrifice of Christ and all that good stuff. But still, look, they had an agenda and they came in secretly so as to hide their true purpose for being there, right? In the more recent past, we know there are um, many so-called Christian groups. Uh, there's denominations and cults who have tried sneaking, not all of them, but who have tried these sneaky ways uh, of stealing physical assets and uh, sometimes uh, non-physical assets from other churches, other groups, right? There were groups in the past, and uh, we had to deal with them in southern Indiana and all, really all across the Midwest, uh, groups who back in like the 70s and 80s who were going in and exploiting church bylaws. They, they would go in from one group, they would come into a congregation, sit amongst the congregants, find out how it is that you become a, a full-fledged recognized member of that group, and then they would work their way into positions, this is real guys, work their way into positions where they then could be the ones responsible for making legal decisions on transferring property. Whether it be the furniture, whether it be the whole building itself, they were moving into larger church buildings free of charge. It just took a little bit of time. This was happening. They had other motives. They crept in unnoticed. They, they did this stuff. I recently heard uh, about a, a local woman, and uh, don't be afraid. I'm not going to tell details because it's somebody in this room who told me. A local woman whose mother was preyed upon by one of these cults. They, they brought somebody, a high-ranking official from their organization, and they brought a lawyer with them. Look, if, if a, if a preacher of some kind shows up to your house with a lawyer, something's up. But this was an elderly woman. Um, this this person, her mother, elderly woman, they came in and said, look, we need you to sign these documents. It's a, it's a very religious thing to do. You know, I'm sure they really laid it on thick. And what did she do? She signed up to send all of her assets, her home included, to that organization at the end of the day. Preying upon the elderly. This, this, this happens, you guys. Jude's concern that he's sharing with us here was not about some isolated incident. There always have been, and I suppose there always will be, people creeping into churches with impure motives. And so, the very last part of what Jude wrote in this first section of verse 4 is critical for us to take note of. He says certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Wait a second. They're ungodly. They turn the, the grace of God into licentiousness. They deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. And we're missing it? It's unnoticed? Who, who is not noticing it? Who, who is Jude saying it didn't notice it? The church. Yeah, the congregation of the Lord's church is missing this. They're not noticing these certain persons who are up to no good, who are doing this. This is the danger. This is why this all really matters that we notice this. The, the reason this matters is, is clear. When these certain persons creep in and it's unnoticed, the Lord's church is at risk. And the Lord's church suffers in all kinds of different ways. The Lord's church can be harmed physically. We already talked about whether it's stolen assets or even physical abuse that happens at times. Uh, the congregation can be harmed emotionally. We know the, the effects of this kind of abuse, the effects of this kind of deception. It takes a mental toll. It can wreck people emotionally when this stuff happens. And most importantly, the congregation of the Lord's church can be harmed spiritually 
Members of the Lord's church can be, be turned away from the truth and start following after the lies that, that lead them to, to what? Life or, or destruction? Spiritual destruction, the ruin of their souls, the ruin of their eternity. Don't forget, guys, the fact that these people, uh, these kind of people exist and have crept into the church unnoticed is the reason, the reason that Jude felt it necessary to write this letter. Remember, he said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And in verse 4 he says, For, here's the reason, for, Certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who are long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. And deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is ringing the warning bell. He's turned on the siren. He wants everybody to pay attention and understand this. And how much of the church is listening? How much of the church is paying attention to this you guys? In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about becoming spiritually mature men and women and how that happens in the church. Um, and in Ephesians 4.14, he says, he, he begins to share this, this conclusion about all this. If this is what the Lord has provided to the church to help us to be equipped and spiritually matured and, and each one of us is supposed to participate in that spiritual uh, maturing process and all that, he says, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. According to scripture here, as we become more and more spiritually mature, we're to be able to keep ourselves from being drawn over here this way and then pulled back over here this way and then, well, I don't know, my uncle started going to this church and I kind of like the way the preacher talks there and I don't know, he started dressing in a way I don't like and I kind of like this over here. Now, we're supposed to get out of that and start having beliefs that, that, that are our own convictions and that we know what we believe and why we believe it. And we're not pulled away by, by deceivers, even if they're in the church sitting here with their hidden agendas and, and doing all this kind of garbage. We're supposed to mature to that point. But how much of the church is actually working on that? Is working with those purposes in mind and doing it in a diligent way? How much of the church is studying scripture for the purpose of becoming more spiritually mature? How much of the church is studying God's word for the purpose of knowing for themselves what they believe and why they believe it? How much of the church is studying to show themselves approved to God, accurately handling the word of truth and able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil? I don't know the answer to that question. I know there were 37 of us last Sunday night who were working pretty hard at that. Paul said in Ephesians 6.11, Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. As we contemplate Jude's warning here in verse 4, all that he said, we need to remember that the devil is behind all of this. These people that we're talking about, they're not the enemy. We need to be forewarned, but they're not the enemy. We don't want to fall for their lies, but the devil is behind all of this. Let's make sure we put the focus where the focus des deserves to be. Put the emphasis where it needs to be. The devil is behind all this. He's the father of lies. He's the great deceiver who the Bible says disguises himself as an angel of light. Sound tricky? Sound tricky? Sound, sound crafty? Sound like a, like a rotten scheme? 
Yeah, he's always uh, devising these, these schemes, these rotten, deceptive ways to harm the Lord's church. Let me ask you this as, as we get ready to close. As we consider these ungodly, deceptive people that Jude is warning us about, and as we remember that Jude is challenging us to contend earnestly for the faith because of these people, does the level of effort that you're putting into all of this, does it match or even exceed the level of effort the opposition is putting into it? Does, does what you're putting into preparing yourself to not be drawn away, does, does the level of, of effort and diligence that you're putting in, does it match or even exceed the level of effort that the devil is putting in to, to these people to draw you away and to destroy your faith and the faith of others? That's the challenge, and I'll leave you with that. <laughs>